Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today, we're going to be studying and sharing scripture on God as creator, but more specifically, God and how his creation made science inevitable. Our first scripture will be Psalms 33, verses 8 and 9. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview section. So, with God as creator as our primary backdrop, let's just dig right in. Thank you, Randy. Our current event continues to be, for this podcast and for, I think, uh, maybe the next four or so, five, I'm not sure yet, is the exclusion of God the creator from the public square. A Christian expectation is that we celebrate the creator. The whole world, in fact, is called to celebrate the creator, not just people of faith. Randy's going to give us that from Psalms 33, verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. This is the basis of all good sound thinking, especially as we look at science, as we do uh, in this podcast. So we celebrate the Creator while working out his purposes on earth. Science is necessary. We are not Luddites here at our podcast of Brandy and Jim. Uh, But though science is necessary, it's hardly sufficient to explain everything, to understand everything. And science does not evolve. We've heard that expression recently. It is not a living entity. As we will see, it is something that is supposed to be used to discover things that heretofore had not been discovered, which aids in the help of mankind. So science is good. Science is good. We're not against science. To understand, though, first of all, God is creator, just a couple minutes of background. In the ancient religions, such as during B.C. times, before Christ times, there were gods amongst all the uh, differing nations, and they were personal gods, but they were limited to their cultures and their natures. For instance, Ares was a god of war. That was his job. And Mars, as he was known in the Romans, Zeus was the top god in Greek culture as Jupiter was the name given to the top god among the Romans, but these were limited. They were personal, but limited. Now, in the Eastern religions, back then and even now, uh, God and nature are one. God is impersonal, but he's everywhere, pantheism, Mm. as it's called. So God is everywhere, but impersonal. Then you have the other choice, gods that are personal, but are limited. Mm. And So so it's one extreme or the other. Yes. And in neither one of those cases do you have a history of God, as we do in the Judaic Christian tradition. There's the beginning of creation. God is involved, obviously, in that. And all the way through to the book of Revelation and conclusion of this age, looking into the next age more glorious than ever. So, in Christianity, God is a creator separate from his creation. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. You can't go somewhere where he isn't. He is holy, he is loving, and as to his purposes, immutable and eternal. Now, here's a scientist, Werner von Braun, uh, whose Saturn V rocket got us to the moon. He says this, quote, Finite man cannot begin to comprehend an omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and infinite God. I find it best to accept God through faith as an intelligent will, perfect in goodness and wisdom, Revealing, that's going to be important, he's a scientist who says he's got to reveal, revealing himself through his creation. 
Well, certainly, uh, Werner is on good ground there. Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, that's uh, Paul talking about God, of course, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they, that's the world, are without excuse. All of nature preaches a sermon. All of nature preaches a sermon if we are there to have ears to hear it. So science is inevitable given the nature of God's creation. Creation has inherent intelligibility. That is to say there's cause and there's effect. It's not chaos. You can determine one thing and see another and say, well, if I do this again, that will happen. Louis Pasteur, another scientist, says this, quote, the more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Mm. And that should be the response of anyone of faith who is a scientist studying nature, whether it's subatomic or astronomical or here on earth with agriculture. It's interesting that most of the great scientists were people of faith. They were. The early ones that made all the groundbreaking work that we built upon, others built upon, to where we are today, Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo, Newton, uh, were all Christians of some kind of variety and doing their work as they saw it, exercising dominion over the earth for the glory of God. The patterns of original creation, we're going to look at that now as we look to Genesis chapter 1 shortly. And what we see here is the original technology, by which I mean if we look at what God does in the beginning, we'll see he starts as a potter. The earth basically is a lump of clay and there's a lot of water. And he begins to mold things. Later, he's a gardener. Then he's an arborist because you've got trees in the garden. He becomes a surgeon. And then later, he's a tailor when he puts clothes on. <laughs> so what I'm saying is God is, God is a scientist. He's the person who knows how to use technology. Technology simply is manipulating the environment for better mm. and for the betterment of people. So we start with chaos. When we begin this in Genesis 1, the earth is... Uh, an undifferentiated lump. And God begins to do two things that are very important. The first stages of creations we'll see, he separates. And when he separates everything, so as it were, you can see what's there, he begins to fill up the things he has separated. Mm. And then you come to a completion of his creation. So let's take a look as Randy reads Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that he gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So we have here an orderly progression. Things 
are being done by God. So you begin, if you were an observer on the planet, and it's the anthropomorphic viewpoint that's taken here, you're like the reader as someone who is centered there on earth looking at things, just like we are today. We look up at the sky, we look down at the ground. There's an orderly progression, just as it must be in science, if science is going to reach someplace where they can make an intelligent decision. So we go from separations to fillings. Now, all of life is like that. Separation, filling, separation, filling. With humans, with us people in our lives, as well as with this geographical and geological creation. So, is there empty land? Well, then God will fill it bountifully with plant life. Genesis 1, 11 through 13. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now that God has filled the land, he turns to the next empty phenomena, which would be the skies. He's going to fill the skies and there'll be a corresponding between what's in the sky and with planet Earth. So let's look at Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Okay, so the skies, the vastness of the universe. You know, modern science since the Galileo perfected the telescope and going up to the Hubble telescope today and other things, the universe is so vast that man is just seemingly uh, a non-entity almost in the midst of it. And, you know, we owe that to modern science. Just a pale blue dot. Just a pale blue dot. <laughs> However, <laughs> Psalm 8, uh, the psalmist, David, uh, makes a declaration that sounds very much like modern man concerning the vastness of the universe and our place in it. Psalms 8, 3, and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Ancient man did not need a telescope or any other particular kind of technology that would come hundreds and thousands of years later to appreciate that this universe is vast, and you've got to wonder, what, what are we? When you look at the vastness and the wonder and the glory of the universe. What are we? So there's the wonder of it. We have a bit of an arrogance now when we look at things. Yes. There's not a humility that would, like in early man, you know. Being in awe of the sky. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Here's a quote, uh, and if one ever does a, a study on the history of science, there are books along that line. I've read a few. This is from J.B.S. <clears throat> Haldane well-known 20th century renowned British scientist. And as we enter the 20th century and science is really beginning to come to terms with the things they're finding in the universe, he says this, quote, 
the universe is not only queerer than we suppose, but it's queerer than we can suppose. <laughs> Meaning there are some things out there that are so strange we could have never thought them up. Mm -hmm. However, thousands of years before JBS Haldane, our man Job, though he was beaten down with scabs and, <laughs> and three friends who were not very friendly, says this, God, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear, Big Dipper, and Orion, Pleiades in the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Mm. So Job understood this long before J.B.S. Haldane did. Therefore, we move on to empty water. Well, God will fill the water. What is separated must be filled. So Randy's going to read from Genesis 1, 20 through 23. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Here comes a blessing. And it's on the animals. In the water. Multiply. Yes. So everything that God has separated now is being filled in an orderly progression. And so that we have that done, we look to the plains. They are empty. Well, he's going to fill them up. So let's look at Genesis 1, 24 and 25. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And here again, we see that the Genesis account is ahead of modernity. A couple, three hundred years ago, there was a big concern about separating the sacred from the secular. The sacred was too strong and we need separations. Well, in the beginning, that was already accomplished. God created things. We've seen the plains, the sky, the water. We've seen the fish in the sea. We've seen the beast on the land and the birds in the sky. And they were just creatures of God. None of those things possessed divinity. The ancient world saw birds as possessing divinity. They worshiped them. Go back to Romans 1. Paul talks about everything. They started worshiping all the way down to, you know, cockroaches, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so uh, those things were put there by God to have mankind rule over, have dominion for the betterment of mankind. They were not seen as divinities. Uh, the, the rivers, the oceans, which were worshiped by the ancients, uh, no, it's just water. A river is just a river. A tree is just a tree. Nothing more substantial other than that. Right. Of that which created it. Right. Yeah. And our purpose was uh, not to bow down, but to have dominion, mm -hmm. to exercise technology and use those things, and the um, goal of mankind, which is to glorify God. So we come now to mankind, and this is key. He is to conquer and rule, and that's the man and the woman together. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is where we burn our carbon footprints right here. This is... <laughs> Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, mankind, the man and the woman together, were created to have dominion over, to conquer, and to rule over the earth and the creatures in the sky, on the land, and in the water that God had created. To do that, of course, it would be necessary to have a plan. It would be necessary to have a mission, a goal. So all the above from Genesis 1, and especially verses 26 through 28, in creation of mankind, all the above is necessary for science. You need technology. If you're going to go forth, and it's just two people at this time, so they're going to multiply, so they need to learn how to rear children and involve them in the continuing dominion of planet Earth as they begin to spread out over the Earth, taking uh, command of the world of the sky and the water and the land. That technology would finally come to building cities, which you need canals, so you have a water source coming in, housing, agriculture to sustain the people who live in the cities, and so forth and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. So technology, science, all this is inevitable in the command to go forth and conquer and have dominion. This is what science has given us. Uh, we're sitting right here in a place where we have dominion over 90 plus degrees outside. Because we got an air conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> thank goodness. Thank yeah, goodness. Yeah. Thank God. Yes. Yeah. So um, that is what it's all about. However, science can advance only on this truth. And let me give you a quote from Galileo. And we all know the issues he had with the church and so forth, but eminently quotable. This is on discovery. All truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them, and that is true, and that is what science does. Science can only discover what is already there and then begin to figure out a way through experimentation, cause and effect. Now, when I was in uh, college geology, you know, you had to do the uh, hypothesis, which leads to a theory, which when it gets really good, it comes a law that you can always depend upon, it'll happen every time. Mm -hmm. All right, all those things. Science is subject, no, this is not Galileo, or did his quote. Science is subject to the providence of God. Remember Job 9, there are things unsearchable that he's done. And if they're unsearchable, the only way we can find out is if God gives us the revelation on his side, and to us it's a discovery. If there's no revelation, there's no discovery. One of the things I asked myself years ago when I started studying this, why is it, although there were some, some uh, products of science that seemed to be going somewhere back in times BC but never went anywhere, why is it certain things only come to pass scientifically at a certain time? And then it's like, why didn't we think of this before? Yeah. You know, whether it's a train and then it's a plane and then it's the rocket and all those things. There seemed to be a, a progression there. Well, the fact is, those, how to do those things had not been discovered. So here's a passage from Deuteronomy 29, 29, which I learned a long time ago. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. 
Uh, it's the law of Deuteronomy, but the word law there covers the whole first five books, including Genesis. This is true of things that are of the gospel as well. That's how God works. He hides things until he allows man or makes a revelation so we discover it. In Romans 16, uh, verse 25 through 26a, Paul says about the gospel, it's a revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed. Even Jesus said at one point there are many things he wanted to, to tell the apostles, but they were not ready for it. They're yet. not ready for it. Yeah. So I will reveal yeah. them when you're ready to have that discovery on your side. And this is true. Uh, one of the books I read years ago when I was in my cycle of scientific history was a book uh, by a guy named Kuhn, and uh, Thomas Kuhn, and a renowned writer. He wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, and he helped to inaugurate a revolution by providing a new image of science. For Kuhn, scientific revolutions involved paradigm shifts that punctuated periods of normal science. And what I mean, and what he meant is this, that science by nature is conservative and resisting of any new theory. We've got this theory, we want to run with it, mm. but the nature of man is to go forth and have dominion and conquer, so we're always looking to discover something. So sooner or later, something gets discovered about a present theory, and we'll use evolution as an example. And it challenges some aspect of evolution, and people don't like that, but when more things are discovered, you either have to give up that paradigm, that oh, pattern, yeah. and embrace a new one, or become the dustbin of history. For example, in the ancient times, everybody subscribed to Ptolemaic science, which says the Earth is uh, the center of everything, mm -hmm. and the sun and all the stars go around us. But the, the studying the heavens and trying to keep track of the orbits of the uh, heavenly bodies and all that, the math didn't add up until Copernicus and some other people said, let's try it this way. We're not the center. And in our, this galaxy, the sun's the center, and we're going around it. Oh, no, 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 that can't be, that can't be. Mm. And, uh, but more and more evidence was forthcoming, and pretty soon you had to sh go from this to that. Uh, evolution has suffered uh, over the last 30 or 40 years the same problem. Uh, back when I was doing these studies, uh, one of the th new things that was challenging, it was from an evolutionist, was um, punctuated equilibrium. Uh, you notice how Kuhn said punctuated periods of normal science. I mean, it goes along normally until all of a sudden everything changes. So uh, Stephen Jay Gould said, there's lots of missing links in the evolutionary chain. So, but that's normal because what happens is all of a sudden lots of things happen real fast at once. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and then it settles down and goes on very, you know, quietly and sedately until boom, 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 boom something else happens. And of course, that helps their particular theory, but sooner or later, enough punctuations, you're not going to be able to sustain evolution. And they don't ever issue a retraction. No, no retractions are not in yeah. line. No. I, I was taught about the Brontosaurus and about Lucy. Um, you know, one was a dinosaur that never existed, yeah. and one was a humanoid that never yeah, existed. Out, yeah, yeah and, but, but I remember being taught that in school, that right. that was a fact. And then I didn't find out till later as an adult. No, yeah. no, no, we were, we were wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's hardly any backtracking. No. You know, it's just like, so as we come back to the creation of uh, mankind, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, here's what I found interesting over the years of my study of this. The basic virtues are all here. Before there is sin, there is already in place because we're told to go forth and rule and have dominion and conquer 
there's already in place the basic virtues. One, love God, obviously, because he's created us. We should always do that. Got to love your neighbor because if you don't cooperate, you're not going to be able to go forth together and have dominion and rule. And that also means the virtue of perseverance. You've mm. got to overcome challenges because as you go forth to have dominion, the animals will give you a challenge, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, however it's being done. Got to build a house here. We got to dig a canal here. There's going to be challenges. And above all, and this is key back to what you said about arrogance in modern science, humility. Humility is there because Mankind going forth before there is sin would have reason to say, boy, we got to think about this. We, we, maybe we need to call upon God. Mm. Maybe we need to come together and have a council and talk about this. Humility. Here's Humility gives you a, a teachable spirit, and you need that if you're going to learn. Right. You know, there, it's so when you come with an assumptive spirit like I'm right, there's an arrogance there that keeps you from learning. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... If you're going forth to have dominion over the world and you need a, a place where you need water and someone hits upon the idea of a canal, the first canals may not have been that great. Trial and error. Mm. That's not a sin. That's just learning how to have dominion, mm. learning the process. Uh, but he, So that's humility. You know, This doesn't work, so we'll try something else. Instead of one guy who dug a canal and said, I think it works, I'm going to keep this canal for all the right. rest of my life. That kind of thing. All the people in front of me were stupid. Yes, that's I got right. the right idea. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what Galileo says. He says, to be humane... We must ever be ready to pronounce that wise, ingenious, and modest statement, I don't know. Oh, wow. And so that's what we do not hear today from uh, the scientific community. <laughs> let me make something up. Let me, yeah, make, yeah. <laughs> let me make something up. Right. Uh, since the fall, mankind's call is to conquer arrogance. That's the main thing and get back to humility. Because we cannot exercise dominion unless we do it from a perspective of humility, which means dependence on God. Because this kind of arrogance is that we know better than God who created science and made it inevitable to start with. Mm. Here is an incident that happens right after the first three chapters of the Genesis account of the creation and of mankind to go forth and have dominion and conquer something. The problem of Cain, and we see then the whole problem of the human race and of scientists because they're Affected by this as well. Genesis 4, verses 6 through 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Same exact word uh, given in Psalms chapter 8, verse 6, where the psalmist says, uh, to God, you have given him, mankind, dominion, rule over the works of your hands. It's the same exact word in the Hebrew. Now, Cain, because his sacrifice wasn't acceptable, he got all bent out of shape and angry. And God says, you've got to rule over this now. So in order to have dominion in the way God intended it, the first thing now we have to rule over is the arrogance that we know more than God. Hmm. That's why in the book of Revelation, when you get toward the end of things, Here's a good statement I've read some time back. It's really good. The end is always in the beginning. When you get to the end, the book of Revelation, and Jesus is giving these letters to the seven churches, and he's about to open a scroll up and say these are the end time events, seven times he says to churches, you've got to do this. You've got to overcome. And he who does this, he who hears what the Spirit says and does this, and it's a different thing for each one of the seven churches, overcome, you'll get to rule with me. You've got to overcome and conquer. And so it goes. 
that this is what we need to do first and foremost. And scientists, of course, unless there is humility, they will always lead us down the wrong path. We need to overcome our sins and our arrogance and trust in the Lord. In the world to come, all is restored as at the beginning, and that rule, that dominion that we're going to exercise over the earth is put into place now and been vastly expanded. And here's how it sounds in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer were there anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's right. Reign, have dominion, rule. So life is a challenge. A, a subsection of life is science, but it partakes of the same challenge that we all have, to exercise dominion over ourselves, over what God gives us as being a good steward so that we can have betterment for other people as well as ourselves. Uh, a person doesn't have to be a Christian to be a scientist, but science can only discover what God has put into his creation or his glory and man's betterment. Science is not a god. Scientists aren't gods. And we are called to celebrate a god who made science inevitable and then sent us a savior invincible. Next podcast, we're going to take a look at God the Creator being kicked out of the public square in the matter of global warming. Believe it or not, there are things in the Bible that we can look at and say, okay, this is what the Bible says. Well, thanks, Jim. And we have a lot to think about. And I'm sure that there are questions or comments about it. And we'd love to hear those questions and comments from you. So please send your questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment where possible, and we'll always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. And until next time, keep looking up.